without her master there to teach her. The young girl's power proved to be more than her knowledge. And that little town gathered around that old leaning tower was flattened in a single night of arcane chaos. She learned the first, last, and the last, first. She had hurried into the supreme power before understanding the small power. She had learned the cataclysmic before the nurturing. And the toll was heavy. But this was long ago. Now she's become the darkest force of evil power in this world. This is why you, my student, must do what may seem to be inane and pointless tasks. You must find the old powders, grind the mushrooms, bake the roots, grow flowers in the garden before you can destroy castles with lightning. This is the way of things, and to invert it is against nature itself. Only one thing can invert nature. The RPG mainframe. Hey! Greetings, programs. It's your old buddy Ingrid Burnall here up in northern Runeham area. Welcome back to the podcast that is me to last. This is the RPG mainframe. Oh, yeah. We are sitting pretty on episode episode 49. Can you believe that? We're almost to the gold... Is, is 50 the gold anniversary? <laughs> We're almost to 50 episodes of the RPG mainframe. That is crazy. Anyways... Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Shieldwall, and all of my patrons at every level for your ongoing support. And welcome, everybody, to the page and to the podcast. Well, we've got a little bit of a special episode. I mean, every episode is special, right? <laughs> we've got a little bit of a special episode tonight because I'm only going to talk about one dang old thing. And that one dang old thing is, you guessed it, Bearcats! That's the A-Team theme, but whatever. It felt like it fit the moment. Bearcats is here! Oh my god, 25 days of pure insanity is finally complete. And I feel weird. <laughs> Before I get into the whole creative process and the whole experience of creating Bearcats and what it, uh, you know, the path it took for me, what it means for me, what it reveals about my creative process and hopefully some utility from all of that for you guys, which is the, the, the meat and potatoes of tonight's podcast. Um, before I talk about that, though, there's one other thing with Bearcats, which is like, whoa, I feel strange. If you guys ever worked like really hard on a project, just busting it with every spare minute you have, late at night, early in the morning, middle of the day, before lunch, after the sandwich, before your nap, during your nap, once it's complete, you know, I've been in the revenge business so long, now that it's over, I don't know what to do the rest of my life. <laughs> so I'm really feeling that Inigo Montoya vibe right now. Okay, Bearcats just came up on the page for all patrons, all levels yesterday. 
And uh, once again, I thanked you in the text on that one, but thank you everybody for sort of, uh, I don't know, like cross supporting or or co-supporting each other. I know that not everyone can afford, you know, the higher levels of support because there's a lot of great creators out there to support on Patreon and elsewhere. And uh, every once in a while, I just like to, to give whatever's being created to everybody. So thank you, everyone. And while we're talking, let's go back to the beginning. When you want to talk about everybody here at the shield wall of Runehammer, that is how this story begins. So welcome to this episode, and everybody, we're going to be talking about the journey that I took to create this teeny-weeny little thing called Bearcats. So a lot of you guys showed up. It was the biggest patron poll that I've ever run as far as participation is when I just said, you know what, you guys, I'm feeling a little weird on the repetition factor here. You know, I I know that it's expected of a creator to, you know, have some consistency and so forth, but I've been doing the sort of room and tables and podcasts combo for several months. And, uh, you know, I was just trying to be honest. I was just like, I'm feeling like maybe we could go somewhere new. So I put up that that poll, and that poll was right at the end of July. Now, it's, it's hard to even imagine that more than three weeks have already elapsed since then, but the poll just asked, you know, hey, here's some options, things that I'm just interested in doing, and whatever you guys pick, I'm going to try to execute it in one month's time. That was my sort of internal agreement with myself, my challenge to myself, and I, I just wanted to show all of you guys the sort of um, the kind of creative commitment that I feel you guys deserve because of your ongoing support and all the new patrons too. It's so exciting to see new shields join the wall and our strength grows day by day. And that's, it's just such a thrill. So I was like, what can I do in a month? Okay, well, here's some ideas. Now, as many of you know, because of your votes and because of the discussion that followed, we kind of wound up with a bit of a close race there for a second between a mega dungeon and a system-neutral setting. And and actually, as a little bit more time elapsed, even though the system-neutral setting was running away with it, that Mega Dungeon had enough support. For me, as the creator, the the fascination of all those votes cannot be overstated. I I was just like, man, wow, the, the concept of a Mega Dungeon is really that interesting to people. Now, the reason that I put it in the poll in the first place is I was just fresh coming off of and getting deeper into Barrow Maze, and really for the first time being enamored with the idea of a really big maze or a really big dungeon. And really, I mean, you you guys know how I am. It's not like I took a year to read Barrow Maze and know every single in and out of it. I had been reading it maybe for two, three weeks, and that's long enough to maybe absorb a quarter of it in detail. Um, And yet I was really enamored with it, and it was on my mind, so I put that up as an option. But alas... The system neutral setting one, which really, really surprised me. Uh, just being Hanker Infernale and, and being, being Runehammer, in my mind, I've always felt like one of my biggest specializations or, or strong points is my ability to create mechanics and to boil complexity down into really usable and easy to remember mechanics that work at the table. You know, that's always been my signature. And so I'm always thinking to myself, that's what people want from me. But then to hear this overwhelming response that says, dude, set the mechanics aside. We've got our own mechanics that we like. And I know that a lot of you out there don't necessarily even play index card RPG, and you're not here for that. You're here for the overall think tank that is RPG mainframe. And honestly, this is a a humbling and exciting 
diverse group. If really Runehammer was only about index card RPG, I think things would be a little bit different. But we have a really mixed group here of, of people playing 5e, people playing Pathfinder, playing Dungeon World, Call of Cthulhu, and everything in between. Basic fantasy, there's a, a, a large contingent of those players. And so this idea came up of like, just go for it, man. Just make a setting and let's see what you can do. Now, it may have uh, not been written uh, in bold text, but in my mind, that poll option included this sort of implied notion of going into left field. I didn't really ever have an intention of doing a system neutral setting that was going to be, you know, Greyhawk 2. <laughs> You know, Forgotten Realms Part 3. Uh, that was never on my mind. For me, creating a setting kind of had a, a little bit of writing between the lines, which in my mind meant go out into left field, like unleash the imagination a bit and see where you wind up. Try something brand new that isn't a genre or a buzzword combination and see if it can be executed. So that was how it all began. This poll came up and I, I felt so excited to see that what you guys wanted from Runehammer from me was a setting concept, which to me means heroes and story and enemies and, and a setting, like a space, you know, a visual space, a visual style, a print style, which would be a total departure from index card RPG and, and so on and so forth. All this was sort of implied to me and it was so exciting to think about. Uh, right away, I was running about the house saying, oh my God, they've taken off my leash. They've taken off my leash. And I'm just running in circles like a dog in the park. <laughs> and so it was a really exciting start to this entire process. And I think that excitement, it really could be sort of the first uh, waypoint on our journey here, as as I described to you guys, um, you know, how and and my my path to create Bearcats. That initial excitement to be free is really hard to overestimate in its value to the creative mind. I know that, uh, you know, I am an independent creator. I, in a lot of ways, you know, answer to no master as far as my creative output. But when you do something that's even mildly successful, there's a, a bit of a tacit agreement on the, you know, between you and the audience that you're going to continue that, that you're not just going to say, oh, that was interesting, moving on. <laughs> and now Boba Fett, the RPG, you know, it, I think there's a bit of an assumption that you're not going to do that. You're not just going to totally juke. But at the same time, it can become a bit of a prison. Now, prison's a strong word, and that kind of sounds like, you know, a living hell, which it definitely isn't. But the value of that feeling of being taken off your leash and running in circles in the park is so strong for the creative mind, which feeds on enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is that fuel that gets you up early. It's the fuel that keeps you up late. And in this particular case, and this is sort of the next chapter of the Bearcats story, that enthusiasm pushed me. It pushed me hard. I was so excited to show that I can do more, that I can be more than Index Card RPG. Now, don't get me wrong. I still love that, that game and, and where that's headed and doing that art style and that page style and those fonts and all that stuff. It's still really having fun with it. And so exciting to see all that players are doing with it, much less what I'm doing with it. But that feeling of being off-leash gave me first enthusiasm and second this strong push. So you guys know that uh, 
I am a bit of a dabbler, right? I'm not really a, a master of any one thing, but I like to do many things, you know, mildly well, <laughs> at least at a, a minimal level of acceptable quality. And, and in this case, it's writing, game design, and artwork. Now, I already knew from a game design point of view, I was going to have very little to do because this is system neutral. I didn't need to come up with a bunch of mechanics that were elegant, easy to remember, innovative with their use of dice and so on and so forth. I let that part of my brain shut down and save power. On the writing side, I was completely blank. I did not really know what I wanted to do. I, I kind of had a very vague notion that I liked the idea of sort of normal people um, sort of responding to an invasion. And even then, I hadn't made the connection between that thematic concept and the original Red Dawn from 1984. I had not yet made that connection, but I was intuiting something like that. But the push, the push that came from being let off my leash came in the form of art. And so when you guys sicked me, when you summoned me to bring this system neutral setting, the first thing I sat down and did was think to myself, how can I evolve my art style? I've been presenting my wonderful readers and my shield wall with this sort of black ink style for literally for years now. You know, it's like three solid years of this sort of style. Now I do my color sort of painterly style for commissions and on YouTube every once in a while. But I had never really revealed my line art style. Um, not anyway since I've become Runehammer. Runehammer has been full color painted and it's been black ink. It's never been line art with coloring. And it's not because I'm against any of those stylistic choices. I just, it hasn't been part of my sort of visual vocabulary in the past few years. And so when this freedom came, that push took that form immediately. I said to myself, I want to show some of my line art capability. I want to push my line art capability. I want to improve. And then this is really where my brain got strange. I said to myself, I want to show that I can do some innovative use of color. So if you guys look at a lot of the commissioned uh, paintings that I do of people's characters and their entire groups, I use uh, very almost primary, very Crayola style colors, very bold colors. There's a lot of, you know, you know, true black, primary red and primary yellow. Well, I don't think yellow can be. Anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean. Primary red, primary yellow and primary blue. Yes. Primary blue I don't use too often. But, and then, you know, just these really bold colors, almost like Lego colors, right? And so I'm, I'm starting to crank into the visual concepts for Bearcats. And I posted almost every single step of this process. So the first thing I did, I sat down with my journal and I started scribbling some shapes. I knew I wanted to do these sort of really big legged things that had really tiny feet. And then that actually evolved into just the legs and the feet getting tinier and tinier and tinier and having more fun emphasizing the sort of upper half of the characters. And so the line art, I was feeling strong right away. Then I'm attacking this color problem. So I started researching online and just looking for very strange color. And I looked at so much different art and so many different photos and different references of how odd colors play together. I can't just credit you with a single source. But I sort of had this epiphany moment of thinking, you know what, this like peachy orange color would be really fun with a teal color, almost like the teal that's like the waveform in Adobe Audition. I know that sounds specific and weird, but there it is. And then a non-black line art style, like a, a maroon line art style. A lot of the artists that I've worked with over the years have 
criticize me for using true black. They say, you know, there's no such thing as true black in nature. It's always a, a bit of a maroon color because of blue bounced light or some craziness. And so I wanted to try it for once. And right away I realized when you use non-black line art, all your colors fly out of whack. Your base color doesn't even look like white anymore. It starts looking all bluish and red. And it's all these weird optical illusions happen. And this was sort of my first difficult sort of push task was to find, what is it, about 11 colors. And this was one of my first uh, real posts there on, on Patreon. I showed how I was coming up with some, you know, uh, elements for page building, like lines and bullets. And far more important, developing this color set. And then when the color set was starting to feel really groovy and really interesting, I told myself, no shenanigans. You're going to stick to this color set all the way to the bitter end, which for me, again, is a bit of a push. I don't usually think that way. I go with my nose each and every day. I change my priorities and my interests every day, but not this time. I wanted to push it. I wanted to hold that color, that color set tight and prove that I could sort of demonstrate this creative discipline. So that's really where the push came. And then once these things started to come together, the writing needed to catch up. So this is my second piece is had a great little consult with a couple of, uh, of folks on discord, just a couple of the RFE guys. And without really telling them what I was asking about kind of plumbed their brains. And that's when the incomparable Alex Alvarez just mentioned red Dawn featuring the Wolverines, the, the high school freedom fighters. And I don't know how I hadn't made the connection, but that was really similar to what I had been imagining. I had been imagining small town. I had imagining a mixture of young and old, uh, male and female, uh, capable and not so capable, you know, a mixed group like in real life who were sort of the only chance as this like resistance force. And then of course that's, I mean, I'm describing Red Dawn word for word. And so then take a look back at the movie from 1984, be completely invigorated by the brilliance of that movie and the the style that John Milius, the director, brought to it. Look into more about John Milius and how amazing his movie making was in the early and mid 80s. Just became really inspired by the whole thing. And then I felt Bearcats coming together sort of visually and content-wise in my head. Bearcats, by the way, is just a fun aside, is the actual mascot of my town high school. We're the Monroe Bearcats. <laughs> so I just kind of went for it. I just fully embraced it. I imagined that this was happening in my little town. I took a look at, you know, what my town is like from an aerial view and sort of got a lot out of that. You know, the bridge, the water tower, the high school uh, downtown area. And then on the edge, there's, you know, like a granary and there's a machine shop and so on and so forth. And just, this was coming together. This felt like a, a touchable idea. I could feel it in my head. And then of course, a little bit of my crazy side came out with who the invaders are and the rebels and so on and so forth. And then, then the idea was pretty much ready to go. And it was a matter of execution. And that's kind of the next chapter in the saga. So I had set out on this mission to do all of Bearcats in one month. And I wanted to do in that time something that could be taken to the table. And in, in the past, I've, I've worried that even though I've tried really hard to provide the reader with every single little tidbit that they would need to just, you know, go and do an upload dump on Roll20 and be ready to start running games, 
I had still come short of that. I'd still left a lot of readers and a lot of listeners uh, still just running their weekly 5e game or, or whatever, and I had not really hooked them with detailed enough inspiration to go from concept to gameplay. And the irony of this is that I'm also in a system-neutral environment right now, so I can't beat you over the head with all these brilliant mechanics and ways to run this game what I need to beat you over the head with is this club of specificity and focus. So this focus was the first sort of challenge that I faced when I was doing the execution portion. Now I can design enemies and I can, uh, you know, come up with, you know, I think fun characters, hero characters, you know, and, you know, stitch it together into a, a, a place and a, a feeling of story. Those things I felt really comfortable with. But right away, I felt what later became the fundamental sort of juxtaposition or problem or creative challenge and, I hope, triumph and innovation of Bearcats. And this is the resolution of the map problem. Now, uh, to many, I, I wouldn't think that actually what I was feeling with game maps would even be considered a problem. But to me, it felt like a problem. The room concept, which I've been a huge champion of, and I'm still a champion of, to me was starting to feel too contained. It's really fun in certain kinds of games, especially action and tactical sort of games, but with a little more player agency and a little more freewheeling as far as story goes, those rooms can really feel quite confining. You know, imagine spending, you know, $700 on your new Dwarven Forge set. Your players arrive... And they don't really want to explore, you know, a hundred square foot area of sewer. <laughs> you know, they just want to go back up. You know, they, they just don't have that support when it comes to a play space the size of a room or a single encounter. And this is how I've been living. I loved the ideas that uh, Professor Dungeon Master on the YouTube channel called Dungeon Craft was bringing forth about the spotlight method. I loved it so much I put it into Vigilante City. I thought it was revolutionary. And yet here I was feeling like, you know, the area that that spotlight is illuminating is not enough for me. It's not big enough. So then I moved to the world map concept, right? This is the other side of the so-called map problem. The world map we all know all too well. There's a little flag on it. The little flag is moving on a dotted line. It shows where we are. Sometimes strange terms like hex crawl are evoked, which I think is supposed to sort of inform us about some digestible... Uh, discrete kernel of this world, which is going to feature dice rolls and potential harm and, and, and benefits, right? Right away, I couldn't stand that the term hex crawl would be applied to something that I would create or the term mega dungeon, which is also, you know, somewhat related. It's like this move from space to space. Some dice determine some things. There's a bit of an ecology to things. And you're sort of, again, here's this word crawling along. Just the concept of crawling to me sounds, sort of makes me sad. Maybe it's because I've done a little too much crawling in my day. <laughs> I'm not a big fan. As a form of uh, ambulation and locomotion, I'm not, I'm not a fan. <laughs> so I didn't like the feeling that the world map really gave me. It also did not give players the tactical data that they needed to go doorway to doorway, to move down halls, to take cover behind individual cars or behind individual pillars of concrete or stones or hide behind a specific tree. 
Now, some of that stuff may feel a little bit crazy, but as a player, you guys all know exactly what I'm talking about. That spatial, tactical feeling that you get with something as zoomed in as a room or single encounter. You just don't get that from a world map. So I flipped back and forth. I did an isometric thing. Then I did a, a room building kit for Roll20. And then I was like, no, I'm crazy. Then I did a top-down grid view that looked like a sort of a blueprint of the town. And I was just like, this has no soul. And I finally came to an artistic revelation. And as that artistic revelation unfolded, it became the, the central and biggest task of the entire project. But also, it became the design innovation of the project, just by sheer weight, almost. Just, just effort and weight. So what I realized is that I needed a top-down, full-color, fully realized touchable, non-schematic map of the town of Fairview, which is where Bearcats takes place. And I'm just like, oh my, seriously, dude, you're going to try to draw an entire town in full color with all of the interiors of the buildings, you know, laid out for floor plans and some little goodies here and there. You're going you're gonna to do that? Oh my, are you crazy? You know, you've already used up, what, 20 days doing the enemies, the good guys, the roll tables, all the writing out of your mind. But the art just started coming together and I liked it and it demanded that I finish and then I followed through strong. And this is where I found the new concept that I'm so excited about. And this is sort of the sort of, um, that's a double sort of kind of final creative chapter of Bearcats was my discovery of this concept of what I'm calling a battle world. It is bigger than an encounter. Uh, the one that I did probably contains between eight and 15 encounter type spaces, but it's smaller than a world map in that this is a town. It is a valley, not, you know, uh, an area the size of Colorado or France. <laughs> it's, it's nowhere near that large with these, you know, days or even weeks of travel times between destinations and this feeling of roads and, and vast journeys. It's not that, but it's also not just you know, the high school cafeteria where you can see every chair and every desk and the vending machine and the missing tile in the floor and all that stuff. It is between. And the reason I wanted it between is quite simple. I wanted both. I wanted the tactical detail of a room and of an encounter. And I wanted the freedom of movement and the feeling of true space and player agency that comes with the world map or even mega dungeon. This my friends, was my answer to you guys to try to do both of the poll items from July. It's both a system-neutral setting and it's a mega dungeon. But I really find the term mega dungeon to be reductive, to be buzzwordy, and most importantly, to refer to the past. I do not want to refer to the past. I tried so hard with Bearcats to find something new. Now, I did take inspiration from several things in the past. But to me, this is a unique flavor twist on those things, and I wanted to move into a more futuristic portrayal of my concept, what an RPG could be. That's a real mouthful. And it took the form of a battle world, which is where players are going to play in a continuous sense of time. It's never going to break off into travel time. But it's far larger than any one goblin ambush could be. You can actually drive the school bus across town and play that. 
And in the video game world, this is a somewhat recent, maybe, you know, 10 year or less uh, old sort of style of gameplay, generally referred to the sandbox. But the sandbox was another buzzword that just killed my fun. I didn't want to make a quote unquote sandbox, one of the ultimate ones being Red Dead Redemption. I didn't want to just do that. But the amount of space in Red Dead Redemption, very, very interesting to me. And that is what I've come to call this battle world. So after all of this work, all of this coloring and painting and writing and throwing away and writing again and just composing in, uh, in InDesign and working page by page, making sure I wasn't leaving any mess behind and just going on this journey from those first few drawings all the way to the last few drawings without compromising and without giving up and working in some cases very long hours. There was only one thing left to do, and that is the final chapter of my story of how Bearcats came to be. That was the playtest. You guys know that I am an absolute huge believer in the value of playtests. Turning to your fellow RPG enthusiasts and sticking them right in there, not theoretically, but actually into your creation and seeing how fun it is. Giving it your all with a lot of energetic game mastering, a lot of fast turn calling, and a lot of hot and heavy action, and then a lot of nuanced and unexpected description, like the, the many terrible dooms of the students of Fairview who don't make it out alive as these adventures unfold, and so on and so forth. And describing all of this, giving life and pers personality and nuance to this world that is absolutely not written in the PDF. This is for the GM to do. And doing that myself and seeing what would happen, well, this playtest took the form of three sessions. The first two sessions were play-by-post and were really exciting to me. And I think the players had a good time. Then for our third session, this was Friday night. We got in, I had all my assets ready and everything, the whole map was working. And I got, you know, kind of beat a lot of these technical hurdles in Roll20. And it's not because of Roll20 had technical hurdles. It's because I don't have a lot of patience working with settings and, and precision. But I got it all working right. The session was an absolute blast and a lot of nice little nuanced thoughts came out of that session, whether they were spoken or not by players. Then Saturday morning, I go in for the final attack. And this is where I was deleting large blocks of text and just writing them fresh with all my new playtest data. I wasn't editing old things I wrote. I just killed it. I, re I basically destroyed the whole in introduction and wrote it again because I felt I was now at the end of the project able to introduce the project. And this is the first, besides the battle world piece, this is the, the, the next big epiphany that I really want to share with you guys. The introduction to your RPG project is both the first and the last thing that you do. This is a precept that a lot of really skilled video game studios follow as well, which is that the tutorial or the first five to 10 minutes of gameplay is the first thing you create at the beginning of the project and then you scrap it and remake it at the end of the project because you have all these new insights, all these new tools, all these new assets and cool visual tidbits and a sense for what the game truly is, not what you think it's going to be. So you don't just keep your intro that you wrote at the beginning when you actually had no real information <laughs> and you don't edit it. You just toss it and you just write it again. And I went through that. And when I did that, I, I really knew I think I'm about finished and I feel proud of what I've created here. And that's really probably the biggest creative takeaway here is the intro is the first and the last thing 
that you do on your creative project because the first time you write it, you're imagining what you're going to make. The, the second time you write it, the last time you write it, you are describing what you have made. And those are very, very different mindsets. And you can have such accuracy and brevity when speaking through hindsight, when looking at a completed work. And for me, it was a real step forward in the quality and the sort of the feelability or the, the, the texture of Bearcats, which I wanted to be very specific and, and very feelable and very human. You know, a lot of my work can get a little crazy, you know, a little bit warp shelly, you know, it can get a little bit legendary, it can get big, but I wanted Bearcats to have that humanity to it, but still focused on heroes and redemption. Um, no nihilism, you know, I really do believe in the courage of everyday people and the sacrifices they make, the small acts of brave, bravery that add up to a big difference in the world. And that is what Bearcats is all about. So I hope that there's a lot of fun and a lot of discussion around Bearcats coming in the future. I'm really proud of it. I know that to, to some of you probably, it's just an interesting read. And that's that. Well, that's kind of cool art. Okay, thanks, dude. Moving on. And others you, uh, of you are maybe planning a game to play with Bearcats. But as we move into the end of August, and uh, this is going to happen again because it's just too exciting for me to pass up, <laughs> we're going to do another poll of what you guys would like to see happening in September. And I would really like you guys to think hard on a challenge. And this is how I'd like to wrap up this episode of the RPG mainframe tonight. I would like ye shield wall, all my brothers and sisters, all the folk who rally around the flag of Runehammer to think deep on getting material to your table. Now it's really fun to create theory, to talk about books, to talk about uh, GMing methods, um, you know, to talk about sort of opinion around our hobby. But I'm really kind of uh, getting a thrill and getting a lot of positive feedback on focusing my efforts on things that can actually make it to people's tables, that are actually usable in your game or that could even replace or augment or be added into your game directly, as written, as created. Is that something that's useful? Are you guys all so DIY that there's not really a place for that? <laughs> have I created DIY soldiers that no longer have use of my creative skills? No! <laughs> or... Can we just reveal in this next poll, the end of August poll, something new to try? And so I will consider this same mental challenge when proposing the options on the poll. And then if you guys can do me a solid, consider that exact same challenging criteria when offering your answers and your votes on that poll. And let's charge boldly into September. And we don't have to assume either that Bearcats is just done and wrapped up and wait until Christmas. If I will definitely include an option on uh, the end of August poll that allows us to continue and expand Bearcats. But who knows? You guys are all crazy three-arm-having monkeys out there. And so I have no idea what you're going to vote on the, on the poll. Um, and by monkeys, you know, I mean literally. You have prehensile tails. You know, limited use of tools like the capuchins of South America. They use a rock to crack walnuts. <laughs> and I know y'all using rocks to crack walnuts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're not savages using our bare hands to crack walnuts. Oh, no. We use rocks like the capuchins. 
Well, on that extremely bizarre non sequitur, I am going to wrap up this episode of the RPG mainframe. You guys, I, I know that there's probably not a lot of even surprises in the description of how Bearcats came into being. It's probably like, well, yeah, I mean, that's what you would do, right? You come up with the stuff and you kind of draw the characters and, and the order that you see the PDF is the order that I created wrote and did the art. I, I went page by page. Literally, I didn't make an outline. I didn't, the only outline I did was I wrote the table of contents, which changed a little bit. But once I had that table of contents, I just work linearly. And when a page is looking pretty good, I move to the next one, scroll up to the table of contents, look what it's supposed to be, start writing and then realize the drawing I need and do the drawing that that is the sequence that I created everything you saw. And that's why the map waited till the end. It worked out great. I'm really proud of Bearcats. Just the feel of it and the, the fun and the upbeat of the colors and and uh, doing all that line art and everything was just such a blast. The workload was insane. That was 25 days of work. And I got to say, that is a lifestyle that could be very difficult to maintain. Um, I was kind of putting a lot of my personal life on hold by working on Bearcats, getting up early every day, no going to the gym, you know, just working on Bearcats and then, you know, hang out with good peeps a little bit in the middle of the day and wind up working on Bearcats, you know, all night and late into the night. And that that is a tough life, um, you know, and it's like nothing is more important in life than maintaining uh, friendships with your, your homies and your loved ones, your family and your significant other and your pets and so on and so forth. So it's a little frightening to think about like living that lifestyle. It's like, whoa, man. But got a few days here to rest, so I'm going to try to stay away from the old notebook. Maybe just uh, poke around on Netflix a little bit and see what kind of stories are getting interesting next. And uh, you guys can always find me elsewhere on the internet. And just thank you, everyone, for your ongoing support, your patience and support of each other. Because really, that's what you're doing when you are uh, patiently... Um, allowing, you know, every patron level from one to $12, enjoy all the same benefits. It's really you guys supporting each other um, instead of a, a more cannibalistic, you know, more rewards based community. I really think this is a supportive community. I mean, go check out those Runehammer forums anytime. They are gangbusters over there. I'm so excited with everybody's stuff going on on those forums. It's so fun. And of course, we've got all the other things coming down the pipe that I'm sure you guys know about. So no need to do house cleaning on all those announcements. Just thank you, everybody, for your ongoing support of Runehammer. And welcome all the new patrons to the Shield Wall. This is the podcast that is made to last. Now, next month, we'll be getting back to a couple more uh, quote-unquote normal podcasts as we slide into the 50th episode. We're going to get back into some tabletop theory, back into some creative theory. And uh, all of the cognitive science shenanigans that you have come to know and love, <laughs> hopefully, from old Ingrid Byrne all here up in Runeham area. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I'm going to get on out of here. I'll see you guys on the Internet. Strength, honor, and beer. See you all around, all right? I'm out.